The Start On Demand. On demand. So strip clubs can be open right now, but my restaurant can't? That's what the owner of La Roca is saying in downtown Winnipeg. A Mexican restaurant has to shut its doors for the next couple of weeks because they have an entertainment license. And they're upset that they have to close, but strip clubs can be open. An apartment block on Gary Street flooded this week. Its residents are out for now. We'll find out if they'll be able to go home soon. And Wednesday's trivia question was a stumper. It was about arguments, and it yielded a conversation today about the arguments you've been in and the arguments we've been in. For example, I got into an argument with a friend over a dishcloth. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, October 22nd podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, we do, of course, have Santa Lucia pizza to give away coming up later on this morning at around 9.15. And we're going to base that on a conversation that started yesterday, just sort of by fluke. When we were trying to give away another prize, Landmark Cinema's Tickets and Treats for Two. And we ended up with a real stumper of a question. And in hindsight, I see that. The question was, one out of four couples say this is guaranteed to start an argument. What is that phrase? And the answer was, do you hear yourself? Do you hear yourself? Do you hear yourself? Brett said that to me this morning. It almost started a fight between he and I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Greg says to me, Loren, what was the answer to the trivia question yesterday? So I immediately said, do you hear yourself? (laughs) And he looked at me and said, what? (laughs) Because I genuinely didn't remember, and I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine on the way to work this morning, lives in Halifax, so it's 5.30 in the morning, so we're having a chit-chat on the way in uh, to work this morning. He's at his office, I'm on my way to mine, and uh, he said, yeah, I was listening, uh, I, I won't do his Nova Scotia accent, but I was listening to your show yesterday morning, I had to get off the uh, computer to go to a meeting, and I didn't hear the answer to the trivia question yesterday, I'm like, I don't remember. I'll remember. have to text it to you <laughs> That's later. That's how hard it was. We don't remember what it was. It's so funny how even with you joking there, Brett, your tone, like that's a big part of an argument, right? Tone. You're just using words. Do you hear yourself? I immediately was like, oh, God, he's mad. I know this is just part of the, the joke, but he sounds angry right now. Tone. Tone and tone and conversations. Man, that can start an argument before you've even said anything. Yeah, and, and I, I am guilty as charged of... Creating all kinds of situations because of the resting Brett face and because my tone, because I, you know, as a broadcaster, I think my sort of normal, natural voice is is sort of what we're doing right now. But in a normal conversation with normal other people, this particular (laughs) voice is unacceptable. And especially when you couple this voice with my resting bread face, if I'm sitting just at a dinner table, whenever I, like, if I get fired up about something, and not in an angry way, if I just get passionate about something, people have actually said to me, why are you yelling at me? I'm like, I'm not yelling! I'm yelling now! Now this I'm This is mad. my normal voice! Oh, that's hard. I think that is such a big, like, it's a great point with all the guesses that came in, and I think we, we're going to play some of them at 645. People will say something, they could say, like, hey, welcome home, or how was your day? But if you say, how was your day? day, then suddenly it becomes a whole other thing. The emphasis on the wrong word, and you're in big, big trouble. And I get that all the time with the, why are you yelling? It's like, not even close to yelling. Do you want to hear some yelling? Because I'm really good at it. I'm going to yell at you for saying emphasis. What? Emphasis on the wrong yeah. syllable. No, none of that's right. <laughs> this is going to start a fight right now. Stop uh-huh. it. Okay. In our next segment with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to hear from you about the arguments you've had in your past, whether it's a relationship argument or an argument you had with a buddy or maybe just a complete stranger on the road. Maybe you got in a fight with a pig parker. Text us at 204-780-6868. We want to start this half hour, though, with the fact that it's not clear when hundreds of Winnipeggers will be 
out of their homes after their apartment block was evacuated on Tuesday night. The building we're talking about is 70 Gary Street. And I just want to uh, express my apologies. I early earlier identified this building as part of one of the three uh, buildings in the Fort Gary Place complex. I apologize for that error. Please forgive me for that. So the building at 70 Gary Street is otherwise known as the Fort Gary Tower. And Tuesday night it lost power. City officials say the building had recently suffered water, suffered water damage and that caused both the primary and secondary power sources to go down. As a result, the building had no heat, which is a real problem in these temperatures, Loren. Yeah, so we want to check in to see how these folks are doing and how long they might be out of their homes when they'll be able to return to that apartment block. Hugh Mansfield is the senior advisor for Timber Creek Communities, which is the owner of the apartment block, and he joins us now. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning. How are you? We're well, thank you. I, I can imagine this is a pretty challenging time for the folks, though, in your building. 300 of them, that's, that's a large group of people. Where are they all staying right now? Well, we uh, we had the, the the foresight to to uh, book some hotels, uh, some blocks, and some hotels pretty immediately on uh, Tuesday. So, when the evacuation order came in, which we were anticipating, uh, we had places for everybody to go. Uh, having said that, not everybody uh, took us up on that offer. Um, several of them uh, chose to to go to families or friends. So. Um, we're, we're still uh, sort of, as you can imagine, um, sorting through the, the assessment of uh, what the extent of the damages are. So have you been able to determine at all like what sort of damages have been sustained? Well, as you can imagine, uh, it was isolated to the basement. That's the good news. So fortunately, there was no damage to any, of, any water damage to any of the individual apartment units. So that's, that's the good news. Um, the, we're hopeful that by midday today that the engineers will be able to give us uh, sort of a roadmap uh, to, to when people might be able to return to their homes. So we've got to let the experts in there and, and do their assessment, and uh, we have a whole team of engineers, and, and from heat to electrical to cleanup, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly it's busy. Well, I mean, uh, water is the greatest enemy of, of all structures. So, uh, Hugh, uh, talk about how this happened in the first place. Have you figured it out and have you mitigated that issue so that once you get this fixed, you, you won't have to deal with it again? Yeah, sad, sadly, uh, you know, yeah, water is uh, certainly a, 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 a very dangerous enemy to, to anyone that uh, lives lives in a home or, or has a basement. And, and in this case, it was the water main um, outside the the main door to the residence, and that that burst, and uh, we we have obviously got that turned off. Um, but you know, with with a water main, unlike um, a sprinkler system in a building, water main is considerable amount of water, uh, you know, coming into your into your location. So it it uh, it filled the basement up pretty fast. Uh, but again, um, you know, this, this took place in the wee hours of Tuesday morning. Um, so there was, you know, there was no, no occupants or anybody in the basement at that time. And uh, we were able to sort of, uh, um, take care of take care of the issue pretty, pretty expeditiously. Having, having said that, uh, the, the pump out takes about uh, six to eight hours. So it's, it's a considerable amount of time to get the water out of out of the basement once it's in there, and you can't really start doing an assessment with with the uh, the engineering team and, until that that water is removed. So that's what's taking place right now. And and uh, like I said, we're hopeful that we'll have uh, have more to to tell the residents uh, sometime uh, sometime today. So you mentioned just the water filled the basement. So to just so I have a clear clearer picture here. Are we talking like floor to ceiling, seven eight feet of water? Yeah, it was uh, it was fast and considerable, and uh, so yeah. Again, it's uh, um, you know the the water main is is a very large pipe, and and when something like that bursts, hence you know it it was in the basement, it was out onto the street, and and obviously the fire department was contacted, and uh, uh, but we you know we got it under control uh, relatively quickly. Uh, but again, it's just the 
you know, once the basement's full, it's it's uh, it's it's a fairly contained basement with concrete walls, and you you got to get the water out before you can really um, do an assessment and, and understand uh, the extent of the damage. How long could the residents be out? It, it's really hard to say. I don't want to I don't want to put a <laughs> a number on the wall at this point. Um, you know, we're we're hopeful that it won't be for a long period of time, um, and and so. You know, ideally days, um, but again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much until the the pros, the experts, have given us the, you know, here here's what it's going to take. So uh, uh, we are in communication with our residents, uh, daily communication with them. Um, we have established a, a return to their residents yesterday to get belongings. So we had a very busy day yesterday, as you can imagine, with people coming in in a very uh, controlled environment um, and, and allowed to go into their uh, into their homes uh, for approximately an hour, but um, no more. And and uh, you know just to collect belongings and and in some case medicines and you know things that that would be important to to individuals. And so we had uh, quite a quite a a busy day yesterday, and we're anticipating that that will be less than yesterday, but certainly there'll be uh, continued activity. So. But we have been in contact, and, and we want to make sure that, you know, people know that they have that opportunity. But for now, it's, it's really just a, it's a wait and see. You know, we have to, we have to leave it to the pros, and, and once they, they give us the, you know, the roadmap, then obviously we'll be, uh, we'll be relaying that information to the residents and, and uh, to the public at large. Hugh Mansfield is the senior advisor for Timber Creek Communities, which is the owner of the apartment block at 70 Gary Street, known as the Fort Gary Tower. Hugh, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this, sir. My pleasure. Have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to have a chat now about arguments and give away some Santa Lucia pizza. And this comes from yesterday's trivia question. We were giving away a tickets and treats pass for two for Landmark Cinemas. We were doing this just before 8 o'clock. And as it turns out, we asked a stumper of a question because we did not get an a-, a correct answer live on the air. We had to do- take the winner off the air. We actually didn't get a winner, so we're going to give away that pass tomorrow. Uh, but first, a recap of what happened yesterday. <laughs> One out of four couples say this phrase is guaranteed to start an argument. What have you been doing all day? What time are you coming home? Can you put the toilet seat down? What's for supper? Yeah, what are you thinking? Whatever. Just calm down. How much did you spend on that? You always... Where were you? Who's that text from? Do you know what you need? If you needed to know, I would tell you. Where did you get your license? Sears? Do you know what's wrong with you? Do you understand? Do you know it's my birthday? We need to have a talk. Do you want to watch a movie? Do you think I'm serious? Do you want to have another child? Do you know where you're going? Do you love me? Do you have to chew like that? Do you need to talk to me that way? Do you have any money? Do you still think I'm sexy or love? <laughs> Don't yell at me. Do you want to go to the in-laws? Speak to me nicely. Do I look better than her? Or do I need to lose weight? Oh, God. Those are awful questions. Just awful. Do you think I look fat in these jeans? <laughs> <laughs> So the answer was, do you hear yourself? Do you hear yourself? What? Are you talking to me? <laughs> so we appreciate everybody who, who took a shot at that one. And I guess an apology for the question being a little too difficult. But it, as it turns out, I'm kind of glad it ended up being difficult because it's going to inspire the chat we're going to have right now about arguments. So we want you to text us. At 204-780-6868 on the arguments you've had, whether it's some in a relationship or if you're not comfortable talking about arguments you've had in your relationship, maybe you had one with a buddy. Like here, I'll just kick it off. I said that uh, I got in a fight once with a friend of mine over something stupid as a dishcloth. So this was back in... 2014, I had uh, sold my house and needed a place to stay. So I moved back in with my friend Mike, with whom I lived for a few years. I lived in his basement and he said, well, if you need somewhere to stay, you can come live with me again for a while. So I did that. So the first time I did the dishes as a a new re-entered resident in his home, he used to use those uh, blue J-cloth things. And I'm not, I don't like using those. I just like to use a dishcloth. So I pulled out one of my dishcloths, which happened to be orange, and his kitchen was uh, primarily blue. So 
anyway, I, do, I make my food, I do my dishes, and I go downstairs. I'm sitting on my computer, and he comes home from work about 4.30, and I, and I hear from him bellowing from upstairs, What is this? <laughs> so, I, so I shout, What? He comes thundering down the stairs and he's got the cloth in his hand and he's frothing at the mouth and he's beet red and there's steam coming out of his ears. I may be embellishing a little bit, but he's like, what is this? And I said, it's a dishcloth, but, but it's orange. (laughs) And I said, so what? Well, but my kitchen's blue. I'm like, so who cares? Just because you don't care about things like color schemes. And I I just kind of, I let him huff and puff for a second. And I said, okay, are you done? And he's like, yeah. And then he threw it on the ground. And (laughs) it remains there to this day. And I actually told that speech at his wedding. Good. And I presented him at the wedding with the cloth, with the dishcloth. But anyway, so that was my fun fun little argument. So wow, I feel like I was there. (laughs) So Jeff Forte is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun. Jeff Forte. I can't imagine you arguing with anybody. Oh, I well, sometimes (laughs) you know it happens. Uh, for example, there's uh, this is years ago. I got into an argument with my dad. It's more like a fight, I guess, because uh, my mom had bought me a bag of jerky, and you know I like my jerky. <laughs> Shower jerky. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, he's he's feeding pieces to the dog, and my mom is going, "Don't don't oh. feed, don't feed jerky to the dog. That's expensive." And like I hear this, and I turn around, and I go, "What? He's feeding jerky to the dog?" And so I, I pick up one of his hot rods. And I rip it open, and I go, what if I feed this to the dog? And I throw it on the ground, and he got mad. He got so mad, and I'm mad. He's mad. We yell at each other. We store him off, and we didn't talk for hours. <laughs> and meanwhile, the dog got but the But it was the best rod, day right? of the dog's no. life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The dog did not get the hot Jeff. rod. My, my mom picked it up. She's like, that's not healthy for the dog. And oh. Threw it in the garbage. But uh, I wasted one of his hot rods. He fed... The jerky to the dog, it was it was heated. Wow. There's a whole thing with wow. uh, dried meats going on in the Forte <laughs> household. I, I, I'm fascinated oh, yeah. by that. What about you, Kelly Moore? Uh, most of the time, it's over the loading of the dishwasher. Oh, and boy. I wouldn't say it's, Soccer. A, uh, it's a heated argument. <laughs> it's more of a uh, disagreement, and I know where I am in the pecking order. So. Uh, and the other thing, I guess, that, that can sometimes... Uh, create a little bit of a, a heated conversation is my wife will try to make be making supper and I like to get the dishes done before we eat supper and we have a small kitchen so I'll, I'll leave it up to your imaginations we don't get to the point of the orange dishcloth but I usually get sent to a corner or a timeout really wow oh yeah yeah like you pick now to start cleaning the kitchen when i'm trying to make supper you're doing that now okay that's fair that's my cue that's my cue to exit stage left (laughs) okay so but you get credit for starting the cleanup but you don't end up having to do the cleanup i think there's oh no 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 oh no no no. it's still there for me oh okay uh, i thought maybe you were you're beyond clever there's oh no clever diabolical i was thinking no okay Jeff Two Braun. shall never meet. <laughs> Jeff Braun, you. Mine's also food-related. It uh, was a daily argument in our house, uh, me being a picky eater and finding something to complain about on the dinner table that I didn't like. The best version of it was the sour cream incident, which was <laughs> about – it was in the top ten of things that I refused to eat was sour cream. And one day my grandma lived with us, and she had just had enough. She slaps a $100 bill on the table, fits a spoonful of sour cream, and says, if you eat this sour cream – you can have the $100, and I refused to do it. And I was 17 at the time. I wasn't like an 8-year-old kid. I was 17-year-old, and in 1993, $100 would have gone a long way for me um, in this, you know, beer and cigarettes department kind of thing. <laughs> and it was... And I you just weren't going to buy sour cream? Like I knew you... No. My grandma, she basically called me a coward just there at the kitchen table, and she laughed at me. She's like... She's like, she's just, they were all like, you're the worst, Jeff. I just can't believe it. And the other bad eating one was I once sat alone at the kitchen table for three hours after getting the, you can't leave the table till you finish your plate speech. And I was just like, all right, I'll wait it out. And I sat there all night. And finally, they're like, go to bed. What was the food? What was the food? I can't remember. 
I just rem- I don't remember. I just remember whatever Baked it was. potato with sour cream. Eat. The protest. Wow, Jeff <laughs> Braun digging his heels in. That is impressive <laughs> stuff. Okay, so we got some stubbornness. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Keep those argument stories coming at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Santa Lucia pizza. We'll give that away after 9.15. Manitoba has a new threshold for fines for those who do not follow the public health rules around COVID-19. So for people, the fine was $486. It's now $1,296, so it's nearly tripled, which is the second highest fine level in Canada. And then for businesses and corporations, the fine has gone from $2,500 to $5,000. The fines are effective immediately. So that's something to consider when it comes to these public health orders. And then, of course, we've been talking a lot this week about the decision to close some food service establishments while keeping others open. Premier Brian Pallister was asked about this yesterday because many of those businesses that are forced to close are caught in a liquor licensing gray area. And that's really the difference between being open and being shut. We have a pretty archaic, uh, frankly, very complex series of rules around licensed establishments for distribution of alcohol in this province. And we inherited such a system and we're addressing that and we've simplified it somewhat. But it remains it remains true that it's not a simple thing to do to just shut down businesses willy-nilly in the hopes that you beat COVID that way, because that also shuts down the working opportunities and the profit opportunities, frankly, for small businesses around our province. So we're trying to do our best to get the messages out about what is safe and what is not, the safe practices that people need to follow, not in an effort to uh, hurt businesses, but rather in an effort to help them uh, to continue to operate safely, and most businesses have been very compliant in doing that. So the archaic liquor laws and licensing issues the Premier spoke of have a group of food service businesses which had been operating safely, now caught in what will be the fourth day of a minimum 14-day shutdown. Wade Salchert is the owner of La Roca in downtown Winnipeg, and Wade joins us now. Good morning, sir. Good morning. So as we understand it, La Roca has what is categorized as an entertainment license. Now, I've been told you are one of about 15 food service operations in the city with this type of license, most if not all of which look and act like a restaurant most of the time. Would that be accurate? And and would you categorize the situation you're in as being caught in what amounts to be a paperwork issue? Yeah, the um, the 15 businesses, I can't speak of all of them, but um, I do know a few of them, including my own, that uh, operate entirely as a restaurant. And if you've been there, anyone's been there, you know, if you come out for dinner, it's like any other restaurant. It's full service. We have many staff. It's well operated. And uh, ever since the restrictions came into place uh, months back, uh you can't open past uh, 11 o'clock. Obviously, social distancing is required, sanitation is required. Um, and uh, according to the health and the liquor inspectors, when they come in to see us, nobody's doing it better. Um, we're, we're doing it as well as anybody. So if you walk into La Roca, it's like walking into any restaurant in the city. The, the volume isn't uh, any different. Uh, the spacing is the same, etc. So I think Pallister, he dropped the ball on this one. He caused the furlough of hundreds of people, hundreds of Winnipeggers in one shot without looking into it. He made the rules that we have to operate the way we operate. And then he's going to say, well, that presents a greater risk to the public. Baloney. That's not true. And uh, I'll tell you, last week, uh, the decision was made to uh, not just close uh, uh, entertainment licensees. Uh, the uh, decision was to close uh, beverage rooms as well. And if he thought, and there was scientific and anecdotal evidence to support that decision, I would have been behind it 100%. I would have said, if this is going to help, let's do it. But after lobbying by the hotel association over the weekend, they got up Monday morning and said, let's not, let's not close the beverage rooms. How the hell did that happen? 
I'll tell you well, how it happened. There's only 15 businesses that uh, have an entertainment license, and uh, we don't have a lobbying group. And you don't have a lobbying group. And, and what was surprising to me in this is that um, these laws, and, he, and to be fair, he said they're archaic, so they've been around a lot longer than him, but changes clearly need to be made because when I hear entertainment license, I would think a, stri- a strip club would fall under that, but if they're in a beverage room, they get to stay open and you don't, right? How does that seem reasonable to you? I'll tell you, I don't go to strip bars, but I know what strip bars are like. And I'll tell you, their music, The I think the argument was originally that with an entertainment license, the music's going to be loud, so you're going to have to yell across the table to your uh, your friends, and that's going to spread COVID. And that, that actually makes sense. And somebody even brought up the point that it's, uh, you know, you could probably say 80 decibels or less, so you're going to be safer. And during that time they were talking about it, I thought, well, that's not going to affect us at all. We're a restaurant. And uh, and I'll tell you, in a nightclub or in a uh, nightclub or a, or a strip bar, it's going to be over 80 decibels. So how can you even use that argument? I'm not sure why they did this, but somebody 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 made a mistake here. Apologies. Wait, we just have about 30 seconds here. So if you wanted to change your license right now, is that doable? And could you turn that around in a matter of days? Well, good question, because uh, I called the LC and I said, can we just I'll just apply for a restaurant license? Because for all intents and purposes, we're operating as a license. They said, well, you can you can uh, you can apply. It'll take uh, six to eight weeks to process that. And we'll see if uh, you qualify. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You've caused the layoff of over 200 local people that want to work, are working in safe environments, and uh, and this has put an additional stress on local businesses, small businesses, and the and the staff they employ. My staff are now going home, wondering if they're going to make rent, you know, CERB or whatever the uh, subsidy is right now, or whatever uh, they're going to get, isn't going to cover their bills well enough. They want to work. Show me the science. Show me the science that La Roca presents a greater risk for COVID transmission. There is none. It's baloney. Somebody made a mistake. Wade Salchard is the owner of La Roca in downtown Winnipeg. And Wade, just before we go, I think one of the reasons why you probably have that entertainment license, uh, on weekends you used to be restaurant up until about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then it would kind of sort of mimic a nightclub atmosphere where the music would go up and people would be dancing. I'm guessing you haven't been doing any of that during the pandemic? You know, at, at 10 o'clock we transitioned into kind of a more a lively lounge atmosphere. And you're right, as soon as the restrictions came into place, we shut that down. There are no DJs. Um, it's food service until uh, 10 o'clock, and then uh, everybody goes home. So we're operating as a restaurant uh, per the instructions given to us by the provincial government. Okay. And we had no problem with that. It, uh, it, it isn't as lively an environment uh, going into the evening, but we're doing everything we can to uh, protect uh protect the public. Wade Salchard, the owner of La Roca in downtown Winnipeg. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Wade. Very much appreciated. My pleasure. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Yesterday afternoon's question. Between debates and debacles on both sides of the border... There's plenty of political action going on. Which one are you paying closer attention to? Canadian, American, or neither? And at cjob.com, 38% say American, 33% say Canadian, and 29% say neither. Wow, it's oh, wow. pretty even split. That's, a gr- that, that's fascinating. And, you know, with the second and final U.S. presidential debate tonight, super timely because I think I, I watched the first one you did too, Greg. Brett, I think, did you try for six seconds and bail out or something much, like that? Yeah, I think yeah. it was like five minutes. Yeah, I and I think tonight I might not effort it at all, although I am paying attention, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's, there's parts of it where I've decided, like, I don't know if I, my brain can handle that kind of nonsense for too long, but knowing the the 
so important what, what will happen down there is you have to you have to be in the know you got to be watching it well i tuned in yesterday as parliament uh, voted on the mm-hmm. conservative party's uh, motions with regard to we and then their amendment to the motion and everybody voting uh, first in the house of parliament and then virtually and then the speaker announced the results of the first vote backwards so for a moment it was like oh my gosh, we're going to have an election. And then they corrected it, and then, no, we're not having an election. (laughs) And I just realized, as I say from time to time, that's about 17 minutes of my life I'm never, ever getting back. So uh, as interested as I am, at times it's difficult to be fully engaged because it almost insults your dedication to the process because it it ends up being uh, sometimes farcical the way things uh, end up being handled. So uh, you almost feel, do you ever feel insulted that, that way for paying such close attention, Brett? Yeah. Well, you're wasting your time, right? Do I ever feel insulted? Yeah. It's like, okay, here I am. I'm in, I'm invested. I'm, I'm ready to pay attention to this. And like you say, six minutes in, it's like, why did I bother? <laughs> That's an insult to me. Yeah. Like you want to be part of the process, at least to, to some extent. And you're not being respected. I couldn't. I commend both of you for putting up with as much of the U.S. debate as you did. I I barely made it through that five or six minutes. Yeah, you're that smarter, I, did. I think. Well, I, I wanted to to pay attention, but it was just there was it was such nonsense, and I, I just I, I that's why I don't bother with those things anymore. I just kind of get the highlights the next day, like you're turning on the sports highlights. Just give me the give me the facts, man. Let me mm-hmm, just get, mm-hmm. trim this sixty minute beast down to. 30 seconds or 60 seconds, uh, give me a couple of sound bites and we're good to go. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I guess I should turn it on for two or three minutes. What time does it start tonight? I don't know. Eight, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I, this is, I have to genuinely say I haven't looked into it. And, you know, it gets to the point where at the end of the day, politicians work for you and you're working to become the leader of a country. So Supposedly. You need- you're a leader, key word. Uh, you need to talk to me. You need to impress me. And so it's it's really supposed to be a sales job that I'm going to buy in on. And then when you walk away from that, thinking I don't want to, I don't want to even uh, test drive any of you, let alone take you <laughs> take you for good. That's that's a struggle. Well, you know, it's it's for me, it's about leadership and expressing leadership, and you telling me how are you going to get me from where we are to where we want to go, and sort of that roadmap for success. And politicians have been increasingly less able to articulate that, in my opinion. Like the vision and the creation of that plan for success is just seems to be so elusive to some people. But that leads us to something I think you wanted to. Talk about Loren and just uh, what the Pope said yesterday, because uh, there are a lot of folks that will look at that and go, that's what leadership looks like to a great extent. Yeah, I think that's a key word there, leadership. And so Pope Francis yesterday, it was revealed that he has endorsed same-sex civil unions for the first time as Pope. He did this when he was uh, as as an archbishop and in lower levels within the Catholic Church. But he was interviewed for this feature-length documentary called Francesco. It just premiered yesterday at this Rome Film Festival, and he basically gave a thumbs up to civil unions for um, same-sex civil unions and said, you know, homosexual people have a right to be in the family. His quote was that they're children of God and what we have to have is a civil union law so that they're legally covered. Uh, now, that's not going all the way into an endorsement, but that's certainly going great steps forward from what has been sort of a line in the sand for the church in the past that uh, that these marriages cannot be supported. So on a personal note... I know there'll be people in the church that say about time. And I also know there'll be people in the church who struggle with it. For me, this issue has been one of the reasons why I've struggled to continue being a practicing Catholic. And I am, but not regularly. And I've even left masses because I think, oh my gosh, get, get your, stop being so conservative. Stop being so right wing. Stop so being, being so 1850. It's 2020. And let's move forward and be progressive and kind and welcome everybody into this church family. And so when I heard that yesterday, I didn't just think about time. I thought, thank God, because you're losing people who want to practice their faith, but can't because they can't listen to rhetoric that doesn't support everyone. And so I, I'm curious to know what people think about that, because um, the, the, the inability for churches to become more liberal and forward thinking is one of the key reasons why lots of people have left. 
open-minded, inclusivity, uh, the willingness to sit down and have a conversation, whether it's Pope Francis saying what he has said and uh, maybe opening uh, other minds or what we were talking about earlier with uh, La Roca and the fact that the government has maybe dropped the ball on the situation involving uh, businesses with entertainment licenses. Doesn't a lot of correcting these things have to do with just taking a deep breath, swallowing your pride a little bit and going, yeah, you know what? I might have had this one wrong, whether it's for 500 years, five minutes or five days, and we need to find a way to fix it. Could it be as simple as that? Just being open enough, polite enough to listen to somebody else's point of view and really think about it, deliberate, and then form an opinion, not go by the the rule of the law, the letter of the Bible, of every verse and, and, and hymn, and go, you know what, maybe we got something wrong here a few hundred years ago, we need to be open-minded, and maybe the liquor laws are wrong here, and we need to work with the people that are caught up in the milieu of, of the word and the specificity of this entertainment license that is handcuffing a couple or three handfuls of businesses in our province. I think at the end of the day, whether it's the church that we were talking about, the U.S. presidential debate or, or liquor laws, it's about saying when you want to when you want to lead something and you want people to believe in you, you have to listen to the people and then say when you're wrong. And yes. the church has, for example, the church has been wrong, dead wrong on this one for a long, long time. And so this is progress, whether it's too late for many or not, it's progress, right? And so then we could say the same about uh, what's going on with these liquor laws and the need to correct them. And and then just to swing back to the presidential debate, hey, tonight they are going to mute the mics. So maybe mm-hmm. they learned something. Maybe the leaders haven't learned something yet. But the debate moderators have, and this debate is going to see uh, an ability for the moderator, or at least someone in some control room, to hit that mute button and to bring their mics down. So uh, people are learning. Well, even Fonzie Baby had a steps. hard time admitting when he was wrong. So, you know, if the Fonz had a hard time with it, maybe we can cut some others some slack on it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we're giving away Santa Lucia pizza now. And the question this morning was, tell us, well, it wasn't really a question. It was just a, you know, like a general command, if you will. Text us your argument stories at 204-780-6868, whether it's an argument you had with your significant other, or maybe you got into a dumb argument with your buddy, or maybe a complete stranger, uh, like this listener who says, I had an argument with my sister about how to yield into traffic. She would always stop in the yield. I explained the zipper yield to her. She insisted I was wrong and later called her son for a ruling. He backed me up and she had no choice but to reluctantly admit she was wrong. Those are the kind of arguments I love when like you, you, you bring in reinforcements, right? Like you're debating with someone. You're like, that's it. We got, we need an outside party. We need some arbitration on this. We're going to go, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to go outside. And then the sun weighs in. He's like, ma. Got a zipper. <laughs> Charts, graphs, PowerPoint presentations, whatever it takes to prove your point, right, McGarry? But uh, Deb, I think, is our winner. Greg, why don't you read what Deb had to say? Uh, Deb was pregnant, and her doctor's office calls uh, to tell me I have an appointment with the obstetrician. I just went from uh, second person to first person there. I'm telling a friend of mine that I'm going to see Dr. X on Portage Avenue. My friend looks at me and says, that's impossible. My uncle goes there. That doctor's a podiatrist. So I looked it up, and sure enough, he's a podiatrist. So I called my doctor's office and said, you guys hook me up with a podiatrist. I'm pregnant. It ends up there is a Dr. X who is an obstetrician, same name, and the other one is a podiatrist. They are on opposite ends of the city. But when I brought it this up, uh, when I brought this up, to the doctor's office attention. They were so angry at me. Angry because, number one, why am I telling this to them? Number two, only one certain person at the office should be calling the patients about the referral appointment. I said, how am I supposed to help? Who calls me from the doctor's office and tells me about my appointment? This is out of my control. Who calls me? They are still so angry. They're screaming at me on the phone. 
And the text cut off from there. But, Deb, <laughs> that's good enough. You win the pizza. We'll be in touch to get your details. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are about to speak to a Winnipeg man who is truly a man of many talents, but he continues to surprise us, I think, Greg, with just how many talents he has. No question about it. We've recently spoke, spoken to him about uh, two books he's written and released both wildly different genres, wildly successful. One is a fantasy novel for young audiences, The Barren Grounds. The other, Blackwater, is a memoir, Loren. And of course, why not add a graphic novel to this list of books coming out this year? He's been a busy man over this past year with this pandemic. A graphic novel coming out next week. This novel is called Breakdown, Reckoner Rises, Volume 1. And it's an illustrated continuation of his books aimed at Indigenous young adults. The Reckoner Trilogy being one of them. David A. Robertson, we always got to get the A in, joins us now. Good morning, David. (laughs) Hi, how's it going? We're well, thank you. I, I, I think this is the most obvious question. When we had you on, I think it was just a month ago, talking about the two books that were out within the same week, I thought you had been a busy man, but I didn't realize this graphic novel was also coming out this fall. So um, where are you getting the time for all this? This is a busy year. Well, I think there's just like every, everyone might have a little bit of extra time lately because of the pandemic. There's more time inside. And so, you know, you just uh, wait till your kids are asleep. And then you uh, you go to town on your laptop and you write stuff. That's, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> mm, I clean my garage. You write a graphic novel. So this is uh, an amazing. It, it is a piece of art, if I may say so, David. The illustrations are outstanding. Obviously, that is absolutely essential for a graphic novel to speak to those who pick it up. But I'm also enchanted by the Winnipeg references, and so me being a proud Winnipegger. It's uh, so neat to to see some of our city uh, reflected in this graphic novel. Yeah, no, I think Scott Henderson, who um, illustrated it, and Donovan Yashik, who colored it, did an amazing job of bringing the city to life. And I've, I've liked to write about Winnipeg in some of my books, either, either like subtly or very directly. Um, the Barren Grounds, too, has, you know, the kids live in Winnipeg. And um, and it's a, kind of an international novel that's being read all over North America, and um, and people are learning about Winnipeg and seeing some of the stuff in the city and and some of the really beautiful places in the city, but just about the city itself. And I I like it just kind of paying homage to the the place I've grown up in, and it's been fun to to draw places that I've been to and that I've I've visited and. I've lived around, so it's been it's been cool to see to be able to incorporate your hometown into the into the books you write for sure. I'm flipping through the the, the graphic novel right now, and I see on one page uh, one of the characters is wearing a Transformers T-shirt. Uh, I like that because I happen to be wearing a Transformers <laughs> T-shirt right now, underneath my uh, my Suike hoodie. But uh, has anybody thumbed their nose at you for this? Like said things like, "You're doing a comic book." No, uh, you know, I, I started out doing graphic novels um, when I was uh, just a new writer about 11, 12 years ago. Um, and they've been used, you know, in, in the education system across Canada um, quite often. And and I think graphic novels themselves are being, you know, more and more accepted as a really valid form of literature. Um, you see them more and more being considered for the awards that other books are being considered for. Um, I think one of them was the first ones to be included in Canada Reads this year. And so I think graphic novels are, are you know, really legit now. And, and it's been nice to be able to take hold of that and use them to um, represent Cree characters in a really positive way. And it's certainly something that I didn't have when I was a kid, you know, reading comics and seeing all these misrepresentations of Indigenous characters. And it's been nice to use the, that same form to share some truths, and I think Cole is a you know very accurately drawn character with some real struggles and um, real powers. That you know, it's nice to see a key character who's just like the hero of a story. Story, and it's uh, I wish that I had that when I was a kid. And I think it's a great way to connect with kids because you, you know even I as a parent, my kids were really into the Dogman books, David, and they're a 
graphic novel of sorts. And, and I was trying to read it along with them. And I was like, I just feel like this isn't reading or learning, but that's not true. You have to get past the idea that the comic, uh, isn't its own art form and, and isn't its own version of storytelling because they're retaining and learning just as much from that as, as a traditional novel. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. First of all, let me say we have Dogman all over our house too. <laughs> uh, Dogman knocked me off the bestseller list of McNally's. So, oh, you know, no! we, I'm a little bitter about Dogman, right? Dang now. you, Dogman! <laughs> but um, no, no, it's a great series, and yeah, you're right, Lauren. Like um, the the graphic novel is an incredible learning tool, um, and you you hit it the nail right on the head. It's it's a it's a it's a tool that helps students retain more knowledge as they become more engaged with stories because of how illustrations work in partnership with the words. And um, it creates a really great learning environment. Um, and I've seen it. Like, you know, I've, I have the opportunity to go across Canada, well, now virtually, but, um, and, and to talk with kids who have read these graphic novels. And I just, it's amazing the amount of retention, the amount of things that kids learn from a comic book. And so it's, uh, it's, it, that's a very cool thing to see. Well, and when it comes to comic books, and I've read a lot of comic books over the years at various stages of my life. I got back into them for a few years, uh, a few years ago. And I remember the, the, the guy who ran the, the shop, he was saying that reading a comic book is, you know, a lot of people might, might still look down on comics and he said it's better than watching tv because you're so actively paying attention when you're in a comic and yeah like i remember it doesn't matter what age i am if i have a comic book in my hand i'm pouring over every inch of that page going over every detail i'll sometimes read it five six times because sometimes the artwork is so intricate and uh, whether you're reading the words or just pouring over the art you're sort of absorbing everything that's on the page yeah, I, I got to say, you guys, this is why you're my favorite. You've done your homework. And, um, and the comic books are exactly, lot, they exactly do that. They make readers more active participants in the stories um, because of how they're, they're constructed. There are these still images from moments of, in time that require readers to fill in the blanks and to imagine all the time in between and connect all these images together and draw out meaning and find those little subversive things that have been added into the text and into the images. And certainly Scott and I have worked to throw in a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of little details that begs for rereading. And I think that is a really exciting thing. And we're, um, we hope that a lot of people get and reread and reread The Reckoner Rises for sure. You know, the word that was jumping out when you were describing the way you're reading that, Brett, is immersive and the idea that you are completely inside it. And then, you know, you're using the terminology stories. You probably said that word seven times in the last six minutes here, David. And just these whole ideas... Uh, that uh, that bring people in and want them to be in as a reader. Uh, relatable is the word that keeps jumping out in my mind. I said to you, I'm a little bit engaged on a higher level just by looking at uh, The Reckoner Rises based on some of the imagery, the fact that it's Winnipeg. So I'm taking a little bit of a deeper dive than I might otherwise do. So talk about why relatable stories are so important in, in order for maybe some cultural and personal awareness of where, where we live and where we fit in in society and with regard to uh, having people engage in reading and really find a passion for it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think the primary focus for me in any book that I do, whether it's middle grade or memoir or, you know, graphic novels, is you first want to tell a really good story that is, that is as Brett said, immersive, that draws reader in, that they can feel, um, that they can escape to, they can feel entertained by. And if you do that, if you tell stories in that way, you can really lace in some very important messages in, into the text that um, readers can draw out, whether they realize they are learning it or not. And I think there's a lot in The Reckon Arises in particular um, that can teach, teach um, things like mental health um, and how um, it might affect Cole and the things that he does to, to address and live with mental health. Um, and so you can, you can read it at the surface and be entertained by this really cool Cree superhero story, um, or you can dig a little deeper, like you said, um, and you can, you can pull things out of there if you really want to do the work and really want to you know, look at things more carefully. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I think is important and, and relevant 
uh, to what a lot of people are going through today. So I know we, I don't know if you know this, David, but we talked about your tweet that you put out a couple of weeks ago about the fan who had to read his novel for school and asked you to help <laughs> yeah. him out with his project because he didn't have time to actually read the book. He basically wanted you to give him the Coles notes. So before we let you go, can we get the Coles notes for your new novel that is uh, now out? First of all, that was like the best tweet or the best the best message that I've ever received in my life. <laughs> and great. I will say, I did help him out. I, I sent him, I wouldn't do the work for him, but I sent him the book for free and I, I read his report before he sent it in. He got it done on time. So this this kid's, you know, he he, he finished it to his credit. Um, the Reckoner Rises is, is a, a direct continuation of the Reckoner trilogy. And it follows Cole and Eva, um, who have now gone to Winnipeg and are trying to track down the, the laboratories that did all these experiments on, on these kids years ago um, to make sure that they don't do worse things to other people. And so the story is, looks at their, their kind of journey to try and find out more about what this place called Meagle Laboratories is doing. At the same time, Cole is spiraling down into some really heavy mental health issues because of the post-traumatic stress he's going through from everything that happened in the Reckoner trilogy. And so a lot of this hero stuff is left to his girlfriend and best friend, Eva. And so it's really a story that is an empowering story for, you know, Cree girls, because she is really the protagonist in this story. And it's a very exciting, I think it's a very exciting story and a good start to a new um, series of graphic novels. So David, before we let you go, then for someone who has not read the Reckoner trilogy, can they pick up Breakdown, The Reckoner Rises, Volume 1, and uh, follow along, no problem? Yeah, there's enough references that they can kind of pick up. Um, but I think it's always um, a good idea if, if you have the time and inclination to read the trilogy, because it'll, it'll give you a lot more to go on when you start the book. But I think there's enough just to read it and have fun with it without having read the trilogy first. Uh, I think you can go at it both ways. All right. And it's out, uh, is, was it October 27th? I, I, think, I think you're right, yes. Okay. <laughs> the Reckoner Rises, Volume 1, Breakdown. David A. Robertson joining us live on 680 CJOB. Congratulations on what is bound to be another surefire successor. Thank you. Always a pleasure. It you're is. a treasure, man. Thank you for this. And I'm not going to buy any more Dogman books. There you go. That's how I will help out. And I'm going to buy more Robertson books, get them back up on the top of that list. Who knew I was Return all your Dogman books. They're going back. Those Dogman books are great, by the way. They are good. They are good. They're bizarre. I, I, I struggle with them, but the kids love them, and that's good. So. As long as they're reading. 948 on 680 CJOB. And now I want to go back and read all my... Co- I'm glad I ha- I got rid of some of my stuff from when I was younger, but I still have all my comic books. Oh! And I don't- my in-laws passed on a box of Archie comics from 20 years ago. Oh, Brett, neat! And, and I have been like loving it. It's supposed to be for the kids, but I'm like, Betty, what's just tell them you love them already. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.